Amen. That worship was awesome, wasn't it? And the prayer time, yes, Lord. If you got healed today, we'd like to know about it. If you, got, if you get healed tomorrow, we want to know about it. Or whenever you may get healed, we want to know, because that's an important part of healing is sharing your, your, your blessing, your testimony. So we want to hear. Uh, Lord, thank you for the day. And we do have a, a guest speaker today. Uh, his name's Robin McMillan. Some, some of y'all know Robin forever, right? Forty-something years. Me, I've known him, you know. One time we were the young people together. Now, now we're not. But we're not the oldest, but we're older. Amen. So, yeah. And, I, and Bobby Hussey's here, too. Bobby's kind of gotten a little older. He's gray. Something happened to his beard. It turned gray. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But Bobby's an amazing guy. I love him. This is the first time Bobby. Stand up, Bobby. Let's give Bobby a big hand. Yeah. He's just a really wonderful person. Uh, done a lot of worship over the years and has done a lot of ministry to young people. Pretty, pretty powerful, really, in children. So he's really had a lot of impact for the for the, gl- the glory of God. Well, anyway, Robin, we've known him for forty something years. He's a great friend. Here's what I was thinking: you get a few friends in life that are lifetime friends. You don't get many. I'll tell you that right now. You get a few. You know, you get people in and out of your life. That's cool, and that's the way God designed it. But He lets a few stay in your life, and you need to pay attention to to all of them, especially those who stay in your life. Because those are the ones that God put in your life to influence you, to care, to watch over you, to shepherd you, to love you, to admonish you. Those are, those are what I get from people like Robin. Robin's been that to me. He's cared for me. He's encouraged me. He's provoked me uh, for forever. And so I really appreciate him. And so I pray that he would do the same for you today. So let's give Robin a big hand. And so also uh, I'm... At the end of the message, we'll receive an offering for him. Uh, so I like to wait to the end so y'all be so blessed you'll give extra money. But just in case he just completely, I know you're going to love on him with your money. But he won't, I'm just saying. So let's figure out how to get you set up, Robin. So good to be here. Thank you, Byron, for such a wonderful introduction. I really, I do have virtually lifelong friends I played little, played little league baseball with Charlie Wallace, so I think um, we got the Holy Ghost when it first came out, didn't we, Charlie? <laughs> Somebody else said that before me, but that's really pretty funny, I think. Oh, this is awesome. If I'd only listen, listen to you, I apologize. You have done better by me than I've done by myself, which is, that's a God-like quality, so Christ-likeness. Okay, I'm, a, I'm an author. I have written two books, both of them future bestsellers. <laughs> and my recent one is called Harbinger of Hope, and it's re- really basically my, a good portion of my life message. You could, you could say that, but Bill Johnson was gracious enough to give me a forward, and so I'll just read his forward and leave it at that, but we do have some in the back if you'd like to to uh, purchase them. So Bill said, I love how Robin McMillan thinks. He has a unique ability to see things in Scripture that others miss. His perspective is always original, redemptive, and filled with hope, as this book accurately displays. Harbinger of Hope is aptly named. It's filled with practical yet profound insights into God's intentions for our lifetime. I don't think this book could be released in a timelier season than right now. Countless number of believers will no doubt be launched into divine encounters that change how we impact the world. Read and learn, study and be transformed. So I would be happy to give this to someone. That was you. No, I've been seeing you this week. Yes, you need, yes, please come get this. Yes. I think Oh Me was just the, mm-hmm. oh, you're so welcome. Yes, um, in Braille immediately. Um. <laughs> I felt like the Lord gave me a little uh, introductory small word for the church in general. 
Um, I know things nationally are very difficult place, but um, the sky is not falling. And every generation has their own challenges, and we truly do need to face up to ours. But I believe the Lord showed me that <clears throat> Philippians um, 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. And, and this relates also, I think, to what Stu Gittleman was saying. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here's what will happen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So I felt like the Lord wanted to make, and I'm thinking about in this room, and I know also in your lives, um, an anxiety-free atmosphere here. Now, I'm not saying I felt anxiety when I came in. Actually, I feel like it's a really good spiritual atmosphere, which is the sum total of what everybody brings in the Holy Ghost to. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying there's something wrong here. I'm saying that the Lord wants to release such an anxiety-free atmosphere. Do you know there's certain things that uh, draw the Spirit and there's certain things that repel the Spirit? Well, um, being at peace is very conducive to uh, the presence of God. Hallelujah. If I get real excited, I don't say hallelujah. I say halla. That's ridiculous, I know. But Okay, I want to talk today. Um, actually, this comes out of uh, part of my book, but uh, it's called Dealing with Hopelessness. And, and once again, I am not describing you. I'm just saying if Jeremiah the great prophet had to deal with it, there's, um, uh, I think a lot of us have to deal with that. And I believe there's some insights, and I believe the Lord does not want us, of all people, to be hopeless, but we can be subject to these things. And I I'm, I'm speak, of course, really out of my, my own experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're human. We... We have problems. You know, we have to deal with the realities of life and um, the thoughts that come through. One problem with people is they believe what they think. That's a terrible uh, way to live. Yeah, it goes as far as Satan. Uh, Satan put into the heart of G uh, Judas to betray Jesus. What did he do? He put it in his mind and he said, okay. He somehow was conditioned to think that was a good thing to do. And Martin Luther said, just because a bird, uh, he says, thoughts are like birds. Uh, they may fly through and just don't build them a nest. And the way we war with so many things is the knowledge of the word, just a simple knowledge of the word. But I'm afraid this generation forgot to read their Bibles. And I'm not here to put anybody down, but um, we need to read the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Yahoo, you know. Anyway, I had an encounter with the Lord a number of years ago that I describe in detail in that book, Harbinger of Hope, that I just mentioned. And in that experience, I was caught up into the heavens, and I can't go into all of it. That's why I wrote the book, frankly. But I found myself under the wing of the great eagle in this encounter. And when I was there, the Lord revealed to me... Um, five wagons, and they were ancient wagons, old wagons, uh, and they're wagons of blessing, and um, he wanted me to alert the world uh, to what God really wants to give us, or what he really, the truth is, already gave it to us. Um, now, wagons, why wagons? Well, they're pulled by the tongue, and they have spoked wheels. 
So accessing what I'll share with you here in a moment has to do with your proclamation, your faith in your proclamation. Uh, We forget sometimes that with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And um, so he showed me these wagons, um, ancient wagons, um, almost like those Conestoga wagons, but they didn't have the covering, but they were just so full to overflowing. Actually, this happened to me in a hotel room in Alexandria, Virginia, and it was like I was in, in this encounter. It was like I was in two places at the same time. I was in the bed in the room, but I was in this heavens. But I could hear the, those wagons were so full, what was in them were falling out of them, and I could hear them hit the floor in the room. And so um, let me tell you what these five blessings are. Um, I do believe in gra- grace, but I do also believe in repentance. I believe it says in First John, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. And then I know when you're saved, you're not a sinner anymore. You're saint, and on and on and on it goes. But, hey, I think your practical life really determines how far you've gone in this great deliverance we've received as believers. So, Wagon number one was a wagon of deliverance from deserved consequences. Yeah, yeah. See, you can have done the wrong thing for the wrong reasons and done it on purpose. God still wants to deliver you because he loves you. I mean, you still going to have trouble because you did it, maybe, but, he, but maybe not. I mean, you ever think about it? I heard this Judas lopped off Malchus's ear in um, the Garden of Gethsemane and that ear fell on the ground. Oh, that ear was damning evidence that could have been brought against Peter to kill him for assault. So I don't want Jesus put the ear back or I don't know what happened to that ear, but the man got his ear back. Well, he just Jesus just delivered Peter from the deserved consequences, didn't he? He can do that. Anyway, wagon of deliverance from criticism and the critical spirit. That means you need to be delivered from what people have said about you that have hurt you, and you need to be delivered from the things, your own critical comments and attitudes towards other people. God wants to do that. Um, The third was a wagon of provision. The fourth was a wagon of hope. And the fifth was a wagon of a new vision for the United States. And I can't possibly get into all of these things this morning, and I'm not even going to try. I'm going to focus a little bit, though, on a few things. But the Lord revealed to me that I would understand the deeper significance of this encounter, and I would understand more about these wagons by studying the story of Joseph's restoration to his brothers and his father, Jacob. So I'm going to buzz through a little bit of the story of Joseph, sort of a little bit of the highlights. But Joseph was the favorite of his father, Jacob, who gave him a special coat, a coat of many colors. And Joseph was a dreamer. And at a given point, he had two dreams. He told his brother and he told his mother and his father, which he understood them to mean one day his, I think he had... Did he have 11 brothers in or 10 and one came later? I don't know, but he had ultimately there were 12 brothers. But he told them through these, his interpretation of these dreams, one day you're all going to serve me. You're going to bow down to me. Well, which uh, didn't go over well with his 10 older brothers at least. I think Benjamin was the 12th. So he came, I don't know if he was born then or not. But anyway, it didn't go over well. And so at 17 years old, so his brothers hated him. And were jealous. And um, so at 17 years old, his brothers are off uh, watching the flocks. And Jacob says, Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers. And so off Joseph goes. And he brings a bad report of his brothers to his father. So he was a tattletale. He's told on his brothers. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have. I'm just saying, anyway. So 
They did not like it. That's right. Um, nobody likes it when the attorney general gives you a subpoena. <laughs> anyway, um, Joseph's brothers wind up throwing him into this waterless ditch. We're about to kill him. But then one of the brothers said, hey, let's don't kill him. Let's sell him to these traveling Ishmaelite merchants. And the Ishmaelite merchants, say that 14 times and see if the rapture or whatever that's anyway come. Anyway, sold him to Potiphar, who happened to be Pharaoh's captain of the guards, very prominent man. And everywhere Joseph went, God favored him. In Potiphar's house, um, he put him in charge of everything. But Potiphar's wife made sexual advances to Joseph, and Joseph refused. And so she accused him of inappropriate behavior. And so Potiphar put him in the prison that were reserved, and the Bible says, for the king's prisoners. And so that's a good little type, being in the king's prison. Some of our discipline can feel like prison. Sometimes the king put us there. Anyway, so God favored Joseph there. The keeper of the prison gave him authority over all the other prisoners. Well, at one point, Pharaoh imprisoned his chief baker and his chief butler. So they were in the prison with Joseph. They both had dreams. Joseph interpreted the dreams accurately. And just as he told them, the butler was restored, but the baker was executed for treason. And so Joseph told the um, Joseph told the baker, "Hey, I'm sorry." Joseph told who got left. I missed my notes. The butler, who died. The baker, the butler. Oh, the one that was still alive. Joseph said, "So you don't have to be smart to do this. You just have to get it all down a piece of paper and talk loud." So. The butler, that's who it was. He was still alive. Joseph told the butler, hey, um, don't hey, remember me in here. Come on. And it says two full years later, the butler remembered a man who could interpret dreams. And um, so Pharaoh had this dream. And it was about seven fat cows and um, who were eaten by seven skinny cows. I don't have on skinny jeans this morning. I don't qualify. I wonder if those... Anyway, he had, you know, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. And the skinny cows ate the fat cows. And it disturbed the dream, greatly disturbed Pharaoh... Uh, the butler remembers this man that can interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh brings Joseph out of prison. He interprets the dreams accurately. He said there would be seven years of plenty, followed by seven terrible years of famine that would completely consume the seven fruitful years. So Joseph said to Pharaoh, you should put a wise man in charge of administrating the harvest to preserve the nation during those seven lean years. So he appointed Joseph. And Joseph became, in essence, Lord of Egypt. He was second in command. Now, something you should really research is Joseph, of any man in the entire Bible in the Old Testament, has more similarities and types of Jesus than anyone else. Some people have found as many as 80 of them. And see, one of the things we think about Egypt, if you mention Egypt to Christians, they'll say bondage, they'll say slavery, right? They enslaved for 400 years. They were there 434 years, enslaved for 400 years. Um, But types and shadows or pictures in the Bible change or mutate based on context, number one, and a type or a shadow. In other words, something you see in the Bible that speaks of something else. If you don't understand my language there, that's what I'm talking about. Like Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. We see what Jesus did for us when we see the type, the Passover lamb. But the interesting thing is types are never 100% accurate. 
or there would be the thing you're talking about, right? So I want you to really hear this. In the story of Jacob and Joseph and what happened in Egypt, there's a point where Joseph is a type of Jesus. Egypt is a type of heaven. And we're going to see that in a moment. So just keep that in mind. I want, I want to um, sweep out the cobweb so fresh revelation can uh, help you lap the building three or four times from sheer excitement here in a minute. So, um, Joseph is Lord of Egypt, in essence. So, during the second year of the famine, Jacob sends um, his sons to Egypt to get food. Now, what they did not realize is that their brother, who had been gone 22 years was the man in charge, but he'd shaved his head. He'd gone from a 17-year-old to a 39-year-old. He spoke Egyptian, and they didn't recognize him. Well, eventually, think about 22 years. This is, this is something. I might make this point four times. Um, Jacob was heartsick for 22 years over something that never happened. He was not heart sick because his son had been killed. He was heart sick because he thought he'd been killed. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you it's not what happens to you that hurts. It's how you process it. It's what you think about it. And if you, if you can, and I'm not where I'm talking, I'm not mature enough yet to be what I'm No, we couldn't be. But there could be a way that we are so in tune with the Spirit that no matter what anybody tells us factually, we will know by how it lands in our spirit if it's even the truth or not, although we have no evidence in either direction. Now, that's worth thinking about. So, Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to get food. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and sends back word to Jacob that he was alive, he was lord of all Egypt, and so he sends ten donkeys loaded down with provision and wagons. Somebody say wagons. Wagons to bring the whole family back to Egypt to live in the very best part of the land. See, all these types and shadows, if you hear what this is, this is remarkable. And so my ver- I think I've got this. Do you have Genesis 45 on the overhead there now? And so Joseph tells his brothers, go home, tell dad I'm alive. And then he sends the abundance of Egypt. Now, in this type, Jesus is, Joseph is a type of Jesus. Egypt is a type of heaven. And all this abundance is what heaven can provide people. So let me read this. And they told him, so Joseph's brothers told Jacob, saying, read this with me. Can you see it? Joseph is still alive. The one they thought was dead was not only alive, he was in charge. (laughs) Joseph is still alive, and he's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still. Why? Because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. 
First time the word revive is used in the Bible, right here. Verse 28, what does it say? Is that up there? Then Israel said, who? I thought we were talking about Jacob. Then Israel said, when did he, he's not even in the story. Well, Jacob, the supplanter, the schemer, the con man, that's what Jacob means. Then Israel means, what, prince with God or something, it's really good. Yeah. Oh, man, here it comes. Israel said, who is he? That's Jacob, transformed Jacob. Jacob, who had 22 years of hopelessness because he believed the wrong thing, in a moment in time, because of what he heard and because of what he believed was transformed. In a moment in time, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Now, we got to work that out, but you can't get away from what the Bible says. You're not even who you think you are. You're something in some ways much worse, in other ways much, 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 much better. A new species, something never seen before. Oh, man. So Israel said what? It is enough. That's one word. That's not, it's like he exclaimed this one word And that word basically means this is way more than I ever thought or knew. Way more. Way more. And see, what you see here, you see, it's like all these people, I would love to say it in Southern vernacular, but I'd get in trouble are sorry Christians, except for Joseph, basically. See, it's like we're looking at the church world. I don't, sorry, that's a terrible thing, but I mean, living beneath their rights, their dignities, their callings. And so what you see here, you see a picture of believers who suddenly discover, they're really, so many believers are living like Jesus is still dead. They are. Bring me that. I've got an amplified. No, I've got a. I've got a. Passion translation in my my book, my Bible bag. Will you bring that up here, please? Not the whole, just the black. It's in a part compartment, and don't squeeze it. It'll say out. So that's it. That's it. We don't know what we have. I might go a little long, but my idea is, if if you're bored and you leave, I'm not offended. So. But I'm going to try to behave. I'm going to. In the book of Ephesians, here's what it says. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. That's powerful. Now, I know some stuff. I know some stuff. But knowing stuff and knowing, being able to access it, two different things. But I'm just going to go over here. And I, I was telling Becky earlier in Acts chapter 11, there's one word in many translations. This word is translated um, three different ways it's translated heaven, it's translated sky, and it's translated air. But it's the same word. But the people that gave us, in this, in this case, the, the uh, New King James, they translated it two different ways. The New American Standard translates it three different ways. Same word. One time they think, oh, well, that's heaven. Oh, well, that's sky. Oh, well, that's air. Right? I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance. I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven. Could have been air. Could have been sky. 
by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard of air, air, where were the birds? In the air, which is the same word as a great shit, lower down from air. And I heard a voice saying, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common and unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven. One place it says heaven. One place it says sky. One place it says air. The sheet came out of the air. The voice came out of the air. The kingdom of God is at hand. Heaven is not some planet somewhere. And when Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, he said it is at hand or it is within you or within grasp. It's almost dimensional, not geographical. It's right here, right now, waiting for access, waiting for people to access. Oh, God's in heaven. Yeah, woo. Man upstairs. No, he got some downstairs people. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's good though, right? Come on. So we have to believe. I've done this before. Anybody need uh, healing? And you did it earlier. Yes. Okay. Let's do this. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. How many of you have hands? Okay. Well, reach into the kingdom by faith and lay hold. I've had some back trouble, so I'm laying hold by faith. And a woman did that. Her daughter was broke. And so this woman reached in there and believed God for money for her daughter and just laid her hands on her daughter's pocketbook. And their daughter didn't know it. But the testimony was, as the daughter was walking out of church that Friday night, a stranger came up and said, I just felt led to give you this check, and I think it was for a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, that's amazing. So, The kingdom of heaven is in the air. It's where the birds fly. I mean, that's what Acts says. Same word. But sometimes they say heaven. Sometimes they say sky. But sky, sky's a long way off. Heaven, we don't know where that is, but we're breathing air. Wow. That's shocking. I'm shocked. I'm processing. Um, Okay, now. Those wagons, the way I can understand them is deliverance from deserved consequences, delivered from being critical and being criticized, hope, provision, and a new vision for the nation. They're all available. But we need need to see what God has for us. We need to see by faith what God has for us. Um. And I'll, I'll just repeat this. When, when Jacob, or actually Israel, when Israel said it is enough, it really does mean this is more than I ever imagined. And that's what the gospel is. It's more than we've ever imagined. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. In a moment in time, Jacob became Israel. In a moment in time. The word, see, the the power is in that word. Jacob had a heart attack, so to speak, because he didn't believe. But when he did, boom, everything changed. Okay. You want me to keep going a little bit? Yeah, okay, good. 
Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, hopelessness is a delusion. Now, I'm not saying you can't have chemical things go on. Don't don't misunderstand me. I, I'm not giving everybody the answer for everything. But I do know if you are hopeless long enough, it will change your chemistry. It will hurt you. So how this works, I don't know. All I do know is, is this. In many people's lives, their hopelessness is a delusion. It's the consequence of an inaccurate belief system. It's a consequence. In this context, it's a consequence and not a cause. If you wake up in the morning hopeless, you need to say, I got that wrong. Because it takes a certain amount of humility not to be that way when your noggin's telling you one thing, God's telling you something else, and you won't admit you're wrong. That's a long, hard road. God doesn't change. I mean, so for many in our generation, this is an enormous enemy. God, just go listen to Facebook a while instead of the Lord. See who you want to kill. See who you want to criticize. And criticism is dangerous. Dangerous. You are, you are volunteering for your own disaster when you criticize the other things people do you don't like. Even when it comes to the president. And I'm not talking Republican or Democrat. I'm just saying the Bible says no matter who is governing us, Our prayers are to be for them. For them. That's right. But it's an imposter. It's the result of believing a lie. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth, one place it'll set you free, another place it says it'll make you, make you, make you free. The truth. The truth has that kind of power in it to transform your soul, to transform your mind, to transform outward things ultimately, but it starts inwardly. We want circumstance to change. God wants us to, I don't mean change like, eh, you need to change. You change. No, no, I mean he's doing something for us that will change us, that's good, not knuckle under you know, no, no, believe what God's done. Oh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you delusional. No, no, it'll make you free. But the, the truth is transformational, has the power to make free, but lies have an opposite detrimental effect. How do you know that your perception of reality your doctrine, your theory, your concept, your marvelous idea. How do you know it's inaccurate? How do you know when you believe something that's not true? You're not free. It's that simple. It can be just that simple. You got it wrong because look at you. Are you a free person? Are you liberated? Are you happy? Are you joyful? Do you love the Lord, the Lord and the world and everything going around. You've got some bad stuff in you you think's good. Because the only people the truth transforms are people who actually believe the truth. Not associated with it. I go to a place where they always preach the truth. But you know Sister So-and-So, she's just a witch. Is that, I'm sorry, what was that? I went from Jacob and uh, Israel back to Jacob there momentarily. But you know what I'm saying? Just, I've got ten Bibles. But do you believe what it says? Do you just simply believe? I've got a little granddaughter. She wants to be special. That's her deal. In other words, if she does it and her brother doesn't get to do it, she is really happy. Because then she's special. Right? Right? Here's the problem. She's already special. She just doesn't know it. Oh, man. That's, I hope she gets over that. Anyway, let me keep going. 
How do you know that what you believe is not true? You're not free. I mean, that's what Jesus said. The Apostle Paul identified the relationship between what you believe and how it affects you. He wrote, and this should be uh, Romans 15, 13. Is it up there now? Let's read that together. Now, Now, when you look at the Greek, I was looking, and I'm no scholar, but I'm just thinking. When you look at those words, you could actually say it reads this way. May the now God, the now God, of hope fill you. Another way, what if it what if it went this way? May the God of hope now now fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And see that believing is a state of mind. It's a tone. It's a life tone. And you're going to see why this is important in a minute. It's a life tone. You're a believer. I don't mean you're a Christian, you go to a church. I mean, no, the essence of who you are is a believer. You believe Jesus, not just in Jesus, you believe Jesus. You, you have a relationship with the truth of his word. That um, uh, God works everything for good to those who love him, the called according to his purpose. So, Accurate believing produces joy and peace and abundance of hope. Acknowledging the truth is not sufficient to bring freedom. It's the truth you believe. In some cases, you may have your facts straight, but you're still bound because your understanding is inaccurate. Jesus warned, take heed how you hear. You ever been in situations where the, the enemy is messing up relationships and a person says this and you heard that? And so you're saying, why are you such an idiot? And they're saying, what's your problem? That happens. Yeah, you have to be careful. You have to listen to people. Now, I want to talk about Jeremiah, and then we're going to get out here in just a few minutes. But this is so important. So Jeremiah was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He walked closely to the Lord, one of his spokesmen in his generation, to Israel. But he had periods of hopelessness and depression. And you can find this in Jeremiah 15. In Jeremiah 15, 18, I think that should be above us in the Amplified. You have to see this in the Amplified to get the essence of it. This is what Jeremiah is saying to the Lord. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable? Refusing to be healed. Now, this is a great prophet. He knew God and suffered and took a stand. He did it all. But then he says to the Lord, Will you indeed be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail and are uncertain? He was saying, You're undependable. I can't trust you. I can't depend on you. You're like a creek that dries up. I built my house down there and it dried up. Now I don't have any water. That's you. That's what he's saying. Can you hear that? Do you read that? Do you see that? Now, that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a bad thing to be there, but it's a good thing for us to realize even spiritual people can have issues and have problems and have doubts, and it's normal in the sense that don't stop there. You're not the worst in the world, or you're not the sorriest, or you're not the lowest. You know, it's just stuff that can happen to us. We're just people. We're not super people. We're just people. We've got a super God, but we're just people. Therefore, thus says the Lord in verse 19 to Jeremiah, if you return and do what? Give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair. What will happen? 
Then, when, then, after, then. Things change after you make this change. Then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety, and you will be my minister. And if you separate the precious from the vile, and so we think, he's okay, you got to quit that, and you got to start doing it. No. No, no, he was talking to Jeremiah about his own heart condition that would accuse God of being unfaithful. If you'll separate the precious from the vile, cleansing your own heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness, what will happen? You should be my mouthpiece. God doesn't want hopeless people speaking on his behalf because they misrepresent his heart. But do not yield to them. In other words, this is contagious. What Jeremiah had's going around. Don't listen to those people who are always negative, who are gloomy, who who. who I, I've got people that have seen miracles that don't believe God exists anymore. It it matters who you listen to. It matters how you hear what you hear, and sometimes. You just have to admit to yourself, I'm wrong. I'm mistaken. What? Lord, forgive me. He says, here, give up. Give up this mistaken tone. You're mistaken. You, to give up a mistaken tone, you've got to realize you made a mis- you're mistaken. You're wrong. Your perception's wrong. Life has told you a lie. Things didn't work out. So what? Things don't work out for a lot of people. I hope they do. I don't want to get hit by a bus. Some people get hit by a bus. I don't want to get, but, but if you do get hit by a bus, has God changed? I mean, everybody's got something they wish they didn't have or went through something they shouldn't have gone through or did something they're ashamed of or somebody did. But that doesn't make God different. That doesn't make him different. That's why we have a Bible. Do you know we have a Bible that has all this positive, contradictory stuff because we need all this positive, contradictory stuff to get in touch the way God thinks about the world and God thinks about people and God thinks about himself and God wants us to know. And so when your life's falling apart, you got to scream a good Bible verse at it. David said, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see, believe first, see second, change your mind, God change your circumstance. Come on. He wants to do something inwardly before the outwardly will adjust and adapt and change. And if it doesn't change, but you've changed, you're in better shape anyway. You got nothing to lose to admit you're wrong about your despair and your negativity. But it's, it's really, it's, it's up to you. It really is. And, but it's, it's not your challenge alone. It's everybody's challenge. This is everybody's challenge. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Okay, earlier, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Do you know when David wrote that song? It was when Absalom was trying to kill him, and he was running for his life out of Jerusalem, heartbroken and barefoot. And what did he say? He proclaimed the exact opposite of his experience as the reality of the God he knew. That's what he did. That's, that's the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Where is he? I shall not want. Me and my men are going to die. He leads me beside still waters. I'm thirsty. I got no water. I'm running downhill. I've got, I'm barefooted. My son's going to kill me. He hates me. I mistreated him. I, but, 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 Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'm out here in the wilderness getting my brains beat out. But I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
one other, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 9, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. You got that? What will he be like? Is it up there? For he should be like a tumbleweed, shrub in the desert, and shall not what? So here's the question. Does good come? Do they see it when it comes? No. But since they're not in a heart condition to see the goodness of God when it comes, they say God's not good. The condition of your heart changes everything. This verse indicates that good will come, but when you don't trust the Lord, and we all have trouble with that, but trust is... is um, it's a developmental process. You're not, the minute you're born again, you, you don't trust God that much. He, but he, he helps you get there. You with me? So don't tank over this. Trust. I trust my wife. She trusts me. 42 years worth of developing this relationship, it deepens and deepens and deepens and deepens because there have been proven and tried character developed. She trusts me more now than she did when we got married. Okay. The last verse, Jeremiah 29, 10. For what? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Human hope, human hope, natural hope died the day Jesus was crucified. And, and I think if you're going to be honest and if you've been around the block enough as a believer that you're not prepared to go the distance until something has died that you had your hope in and you shouldn't have. You see, every apostle, every one of those disciples went through a major crisis. They were so traumatized, they couldn't even believe the reports that he did come back from the dead like he'd been telling them for years. They were so traumatized. And I think what I'm trying to say here is it's not abnormal. I don't want you to believe for calamity. Of course not. But it's not abnormal for people, God really is going to take the distance, the kind of people that can help people, the kind of people that are true um, representatives of the Lord. You're going to go through stuff. You're going to get your feelings hurt. God knows. But it doesn't even mean you did something wrong. It doesn't mean that. Maybe you did something right. I heard one guy say, anybody that doesn't have a bunch of trouble going on in their lives is not that much of a Christian. I, I don't adopt that philosophy, but I mean, you see, I mean, you know, I'm not looking for trouble. But if I got trouble, I sure would like to know how to handle it. Human hope died the day Jesus was crucified. But that same, three days later, that day he rose from the dead, that same, that transcendent, unconquerable hope emerged from the tomb in the person of the resurrected man, Christ Jesus. And that's who we have by the power of the Spirit abiding within us. But sometimes you've got to talk yourself into believing. I've got Bible. You want Bible for that? Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Who's writing this? Bible scholars. Paul. Who's he writing it to? He's not writing it to himself, is he? No. He's writing a letter to someone. Here's what he says, though. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in or the faith of the Son of God who what? Loved who? Me. Gave himself for me. I thought he was writing that to the Galatians. What's this me business? 
I'm going to tell you something. If Paul had to preach to himself, he didn't say, who loved you, Galatians. I mean, he wrote it to them. What was he doing? He was telling himself, I need to remember. I need to remember. I need to remember. He's the one that loved me. He gave himself for me. God is a good God. I think I should probably write Romans 8, 28 for myself. Everybody sit down and I'll pray for you. Do stay seated. Just stick your hands out a second. Let me pray. Because, and, and let me say this. Every, every, I'm preaching to myself. I, I've got the same challenges, but I believe this is true. I believe this is what the Bible says. I believe this is the way God is. He wants to help us all. So, Okay, I'll do five wagons. Wagon number one, who needs deliverance from deserved consequences and circumstances? Yeah, just wave. Okay, okay. Who needs to be delivered from having been criticized and being critical? Okay. Who needs uh, provision? Everybody in the... Okay. Who needs hope? Who would like to see our nation change? Okay. I don't know how to do this, but I release all five... I re- They're in the air... They're in the air. Breathe them. Breathe them in just by faith. Do something, act of faith, something. Untie your shoe, tie it back in Jesus' name, something. But act of faith, reach out, stick it on yourself, stick it on your friend, praise the Lord, say thank you. But some kind of faith response to the thing you need. That, Lord, we're, we're, oh, cabas, lomos, but uh, let us see, let us believe. Let the, that, that tone of faith and believing, Lord, we're mistaken. We've had this mistaken tone of mistrust and despair. We separate the precious from the vile today. Amen and amen. Thank you, Robin. That was good, wasn't it? So good. Ushers, can you all come forward before we engage? We want to. We we do want to have some time of prayer before we leave. But before you come up, let's let's have the ushers make their way through. We'd like to take up an offering for for Robin. Vamos a levantar una ofrenda para Caleb, Robin. if you could put the text to give slide up. You can also give on your phone, Puedes like you would, um, for your offering, um, or on the church app. So if you go, en el um, app de la iglesia. follow those directions. One of the options that you can choose is a guest speaker. So make that choice. We'll make sure all that. Uh, you guys can go ahead and start. We're we'll just going to take this up for Robin. Que es el predicador que nos visita hoy. <coughs> Arthur Burt used to say, your believing rules you, right? Something to Arturo that effect. Decir lo que tú crees te Your believing rules you. What a good lo que tú word crees today. Te Qué to buena believe palabra. the truth. Tenemos que to creer la verdad. I'd like to invite our ministry team to come forward. Al de que pase. You can drop your offering off in the basket on your way by. And if you want prayer today, we want to pray for you. So we want to pray for you if there's something that Robin really triggered that you want to go after. If you want more prayer for healing, if you want to stand in for a friend, whatever it is, we want to do business with you. So we want to stand by you, agree with you, speak life over you. Y hablar vida sobre ti. That's what these folks, their heart is to do that. So please make sure, make sure you take care of business before you leave today. And if you're done, you can be dismissed. We love you. We're glad you're here. Thank you, Robin. Go buy a book. Hey, go buy a book. No se olviden de comprar el libro. Él tiene un libro ahí sobre lo que predicó. Los cinco carros. Amen. Come quickly, you've always been enough. And though the night may get darker, though the waiting seems long, you've always.
肺腑，就满你了。